0: From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this is The Podvocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Podvocate. Today we are honored to have Commissioner Lowry as our guest Bill Lowry is the Cook County Commissioner of the 3rd District and also a graduate of Loyola Law School. Thank you for joining us, Commissioner Lowry. Well, thank you for
1: having me, Emmett. And uh, just keep in mind, for uh, purposes of today, I'm just Bill.
0: Okay, sounds good. So, Bill, um, my goal for this episode is to sort of better understand what role our county government plays. And the Board of Commissioners, as I take it, has many important governing duties, like funding for hospitals. So, Bill, can you tell us what you do as Cook County Commissioner?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, I'm one of 17 uh, members of the Board of Commissioners. We basically run the Cook County Jail. We run the Cook County Health System. Uh, So that would be uh, not just Stroger Hospital, but also Provident Hospital, which is in my district, in the third district, and then also uh, Cook County Clinics uh, throughout the county. And then we also run the Forest Preserve. I represent the third district, as you said, and that's an all Chicago district. So I represent uh, at least parts of 14 of the 50 wards in Chicago. And uh, I go north to Eugenie. I go south to 87th Street, and 87th Street kicks out to Pulaski. So it's sort of a backwards L, and uh, it, it really is right next to Lake Michigan, and between Lake Michigan and Michigan Avenue, all the way until you get into the neighborhoods on the south side. So it is absolutely, uh, depending on where you are in my district, it's a tale of two or three different cities.
0: And on your website, you just mentioned the tale of two Chicagos, both <laughs> the Gold Coast and the Soul Coast. That's right. That's right. That's right. One well-resourced, brimming with revenue and opportunity The other where our society treats our residents like outsiders, separate, unequal, and unseen. That's right. Um, On last week's Podvocate episode, we had a professor talk about how various tax policies perpetuate the wealth gap between people of color and whites. Um, Can you tell us about some of your initiatives that will address inequity that we see in the city?
1: The thing to keep in mind about a Cook County commissioner, we don't make law but we breed law or life, I should say, we breathe life uh, into the laws which reach us uh, from Springfield or from Washington. And that is how I've gone about uh, really following my passion uh, since I joined the Cook County Board. And my passion, and this, this is uh, really a passion that predated my service on the board, uh, but it's about participation and inclusion. And for me, that really started when I was vice chair of the Uh, state's capital development board. And that's a board of seven uh, where uh, every construction project in the state of Illinois, our board has to okay. And I was the first uh, African-American to serve uh, by appointment of uh, Governor Quinn at the time and in reappointment by by, uh, Governor Rauner. Uh, But for every project, I became known as the board member who would ask, well, what is the Uh, MBE participation, a minority business enterprise participation? What is the uh, WBE, the women business enterprise participation? What is the uh, percentage of VBEs, the veteran business uh, enterprises? So so that became my constant uh, effort to make sure that minority business enterprises are represented, women business enterprises are represented, and the uh, veteran business enterprises were represented. And I really brought that same passion with me to Cook County uh, after I ran for uh, office and and the people said yes. And that manifested uh, first in the Good Faith Effort Transparency Report Ordinance. And that is an ordinance which says if you are bidding on a Cook County contract and you're seeking uh, to have a waiver, either full or partial, meaning you're not going to have the uh, percentage of minority business uh, enterprise involvement as uh, put in the contract, uh, uh, the RFP, the request for pur- for purchase, or you're not going to have that percentage of WBEs, you then have to request a waiver. So my thinking was Cook County's huge. It's the second biggest county in the United States. Uh, it was my position that waivers should be few and far in between, and that it was incumbent on us as board members to make sure that Entities who were bidding on Cook County contracts were, in fact, trying to foster um, uh, inclusion and participation. So, in situations where these entities were seeking a waiver, uh, we created a form, the Good Faith Effort Transparency Report form, that had to be completed by the entity, and that form uh, really required a detailed response as to that entity's effort at trying to um, have have inclusion and participation with WBs and and uh, MBEs. And as a result of that uh, ordinance, which was unanimously passed, uh, we found uh, less, uh, we're seeing less waiver requests. And the Mm -hmm. other side of that is, if you're going to have less waiver requests, uh, really, by definition, you're going to have more participation and inclusion. And that's what I want. You know, I, uh, for my entire adult life, uh, when not practicing law, I've been serving on different boards and trying to find ways to give back to keep the ladder down. And it's very important uh, to me to shine a light on those not seen and give voice to those not heard. And that's exactly what we're trying to do at the county level relative to the good faith effort transparency report ordinance. Make sure uh, that we are doing everything in our power to make sure uh, everyone has a seat at the table. So that was the first major legislation which uh, went down that road and, and really jived with my passion.
0: Another policy dealing with social equity was the legalization of marijuana. And obviously, that was enacted at the state level. But at the center of that issue was who would be getting ownership. So, how has the county been overseeing or uh, breathing life into the law, as you say?
1: Yeah, this is an example of that. Uh, When you look at the legislative uh, intent of the uh, recreational cannabis law, uh, you can see that the law is supposed to position. Social equity applicants, so that they can be a part of this new industry. And social equity applicants are individuals or families of individuals uh, who have uh, in the past fallen victim to the uh, criminal nature of cannabis. So, you know, you had for years uh, individuals who were being uh, arrested for possessing small amounts of cannabis, uh, had jail time, they had records. And uh, now all of a sudden, you have this new law that says, Uh, it's lawful for you to have recreational uh, use of cannabis. We wanted to make sure that the legislative intent positioning social equity applicants to be a part of this new industry actually occurred. And then we're also working to foster really establishment of cannabis-related businesses in what's been defined as the disproportionately impacted areas of Cook County. Those areas, communities, which have been most hard hit uh, by the old cannabis laws. Why hard hit? Because you're looking at a number of adults who were taken out of the community, taken out of the house, and incarcerated because of possessing marijuana. So that's why the focus is twofold. We want to make sure social equity applicants are part of the process. We want to make sure that the cannabis-related businesses, which spring up, uh, some of them spring up in the disproportionately impacted areas of Cook County. Now, I've always been wise enough to know what I know and what I don't know, Emmett. So one Mm -hmm. thing that we've done, we've created, with my commission, Subject matter experts who provide information and guidance to me and the other commissioners who serve on my commission as we go forward. Individuals who um, have gone through the process, they may already own dispensaries, Uh, they may be going through the application process to get licenses. But these types of experts, that's the kind of uh, input that we need. So there there are four main focuses of the uh, Cannabis Commission, in addition to making sure social equity applicants are a part of the the process and the cannabis related businesses are uh, gonna gonna find their way to disproportionately impacted areas we're focusing on public health that's very important um, restorative justice and and uh, criminal justice reform uh, that's a big part of this economic development you know is is, is a huge part of this as, as we go forward uh, and, and we're finding through our subject matter experts we've now had two meetings in we're scheduling our third probably sometime in December. Uh, we have been focusing first on the economic development component, uh, but we'll be getting into the other facets of, of consideration as well.
0: These all sound like great policies. Um, what the Board of Commissioners do, how does that differ from what an alderman on the city council would do?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting from the standpoint, it's just a different unit of local government. So if you're an alderman, uh, by definition, uh, you're going to be alderman of a specific ward in the city of Chicago. And you are responsible for a kind of similar to what I said at the county level, you breathe life into the laws that, that reach to the city from Springfield. Uh, but they also, the aldermen also have some uh, lawmaking authority as well. Um, so when you look at what I'm doing within all Chicago district, and as I said, I touch 14 of the 50 wards. That creates a great opportunity uh, for me to work with aldermen in those 14 wards, because I've, I've really said for a long time, effective leadership is rooted in communication, collaboration and then action. And it really befuddles me um, that you don't see more collaboration between the different levels of government. And I'm talking about uh, the federal level, the state level, uh, the city level, the county level because if if you get everyone rowing in the same direction, um, you can get a lot more done. So I find myself working uh, closely with a number of the aldermen uh, relative to initiatives. I bring county resources, they bring city resources. For instance, you'll get federal funding. Well, certain funds will flow directly to the state. The state may keep those funds or they may then um, give some of those funds to other local government, for instance, uh, we get certain funding uh, from the state, so so does the city, right? So what's important is that all of us together, we decide what's needed in the community, then we look at who can bring what resources to make that happen, and then that's where the collaboration comes in, you work together to do so. Uh, I recently, from the county, um, gave several aldermen uh, funds that we have uh, through our Department of Transportation and Highways, and Uh, one of my very dear friends, uh, Alderman Sophia King of the fourth ward. I actually live in the fourth ward. Um, She just had basically a ribbon cutting because she's redone Drexel uh, Avenue, but it's done so uh, using a lot of resources, including the resources which I was able to get from the County. So that's how, that's how we can work together to try to do different things. There's some um, certain needs of the community in it where it's absolutely within the, um, I guess, the authority of the alderman to, to respond to it as opposed to a Cook County Commissioner. So my role then might be if I'm out, and I hear from a constituent and there's a stop sign that they need at a certain corner. That's not something I can do, but that's something that the alderman can do. So I then convey that information and then the alderman goes forward with that. If there's anything that has to do with the hospital system, uh, whether it's Stroger or Provident, I'm the lead there. And uh, same with our different, we have 280 force preserves. Same with our forest preserves. Same with our
0: criminal justice system. So you, the way I take it, you definitely affect the everyday life of your constituent. Um, this episode is going to air the day after the election on November 4th, and everyone rightly is focused on that election. But how would you weigh how local government at the city and county level, How would you say that an alderman or commissioner affects someone more than a senator or president in certain respects?
1: Well, certainly we're easier to touch, you know, we're easier to um, see and to work with. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I've done a lot of work recently up until about a week ago when when the whole initiative stopped relative to the uh, census. And this was just a a huge initiative. So you have the census every 10 years. And my focus was to work with others to make sure uh, that everyone who should be counted was being counted. So we had a lot of census events where uh, we'd we'd give out food and we'd give out uh, PPE. But the main focus was to make sure that the community members were signed up for the census. And it's so important because for every individual who should have been signed up, who was it, that represents $14,000 to the community over the next 10 years. So I'll give you a look at it in a positive way. I did an event with a couple of aldermen and and a couple of state reps uh, at the historic Rosenwald uh, apartment um, building. And that's in my district. And during the course of a couple of hours, we signed up 30 people for the census. That effort over a couple of hours meant $420,000 coming into the community. And those are dollars that uh, support uh, Medicaid programming. They support our schools Also, it's important to know that often when you have a developer and they're trying to decide where they're going to develop, they're trying to look uh, for areas where uh, you've got a high census number, because that means people means that they're going to utilize that area. They're going to utilize the businesses in that area. And that's what a developer wants to see. So the census is a great uh, example of how important uh, it really is for us to collaborate, and we did so to try to make sure that we got as many people as we could count. It. And even with that, I want to say the state uh percentage was around 67%. So that still shows you uh you have a number of individuals who who really should have been counted who weren't. And uh the the other effect of this, uh depending on your census numbers, you'll you'll also see a direct tie to our, repres- our representation in the House of Representatives. So These local initiatives do have far reaching uh, impact, you know, when you when you go forward. So that that's a prime example of how on a local level uh, we can really um, impact what's happening at a federal level. I'll give you another example. And this is this is something that I'm, I'm sure you guys have talked about at Loyola Law School. You can see the import of voting when you now look at the fact that the current administration is about to name what the third Supreme Court justice not even to mention all of the other federal judges, you know, throughout the country. That is the import of voting. You know, people say my vote doesn't count. Well, it does count, and it counts for reasons other than just who is president. It it counts because of what uh, that president and what the Senate and what the House can do uh, during that that two or four year period. So it's very,
0: very important,
1: and it's all very, very tight. Um,
0: Just shifting gears, but probably still shifting gears to an equally important topic. Um, right now, we're in the third wave of the, of the pandemic. How has it affected people in your district, and what can the county do to assist with that?
1: Well, you know, certainly early um, during the pandemic, there was um, a, a disproportionate uh, effect uh, in the black and brown communities. And that was because of various factors. Some were healthcare related and the lack of health care being available in certain areas of, of the city and the county, uh, but also a number of uh, individuals uh, living in certain areas. They were essential workers, so they had to keep going to work, but they were on public transportation or whatever it may be, buses, being exposed to other individuals who were not wearing masks and who were not staying, you know, six feet apart. So that was absolutely, um, you know, uh, something that we saw during during the spring. Uh, What we've done, and I actually chair uh, Emergency Management and Regional Security, a committee of of, uh, the Cook County Board, Uh, we've been very active in making sure uh, that we're taking uh, uh, PPE all over the county so that people can have masks. Uh, The county also is hiring about 400 uh, individuals to, to serve as contact tracers, which is very important. If you are positive, you need to have a mechanism in place so that you can communicate with all those who who you've been around so they know that you're you're now positive uh so that's very important for us to do as as well. you know the other thing that we've done is we've used a lot of the resources that we've been able to get from the cares act that has flown uh, that that has flowed through the county to help small business and you know I talked a little bit earlier about uh good faith and the like, but you know closely tied to that is supporting small business uh, this country uh really uh, was made by small businesses. And it's incumbent on us to do everything that we can uh, to make sure during these difficult times, these small businesses can keep their doors open. We've had a lot of members of the county who have had trouble with their mortgage payments and their rent their rent payments. Uh, so again, through CARES funding and other programming, uh, we've been able to give rent relief and mortgage relief to um, those constituents who, who really need some help. Same with unemployment, you know, just being able to say uh, to an individual, it's going to be okay, and this is where you need to go, so you can get some more answers. You've got to be the conduit for information, you know, during these times. You know, in my opinion, uh, we've never had an election more more important than the one we're going to have on November third. And I think, as a result of certain attitudes which we've seen from uh, the current administration, uh, I think that you've seen uh, fear engulf people. Uh, we've seen uh, the economy um, negati- negatively affect a lot of people. Uh, we've seen businesses struggle to keep uh, their doors open the way that they've always been open. And we really need to have guidance and we really need to have, uh, in my opinion, an administration, which not only is helping us today, but they have a plan for tomorrow. And, you know, we need to mask. You know, right now we're spiking again. And you know, in certain certain areas, if you wear a mask, you're castigated. I don't understand that. We've never seen a pandemic like this, uh it and, and, and certainly haven't seen anything close to this over a hundred years. And it really is gonna take discipline, it's it's gonna take cohesion, and it's gonna take leadership uh for us to get out of this without more damage occurring. We have now two hundred and what, two hundred and twenty-five thousand deaths? That's ludicrous. We we need to get our arms around it. The other thing I'll say is this pandemic has affected all of us. It's affected our plans. Uh, it's affected our families. Uh, but it isn't the only pandemic we've seen since January. You know, we've also seen the other pandemic, which is structural racism and police brutality. And that's one of the other things that I've been uh, really dedicated to in the community. Uh, that is helping the businesses who or which have been looted, uh, trying to help them with small business loans and uh, whatever they need so that they can get their doors open uh, as soon as possible. Um, The other thing that we've done, we've set up several GoFundMe uh, funds um, so that we can help small businesses uh, get resources that they need going forward. We also did that. uh, We set up a GoFundMe page to uh, bring in resources so that I could literally go to all eight hospitals in the district and say thank you to our first responders. So we did that. You know, we went we went to Mercy. uh, We went to University of Chicago. Uh, medicine. We went to Provident. We went to Jackson Park Hospital. Uh, we went to La Rabita, We went to Northwestern. Uh, we went to, to Lurie's Children's, uh, hospital. Uh, we went to Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. And everywhere I went, I just went there and said thank you. And we gave each of, uh, the different hospitals 100 to 150 meals for the first responders who have just been just doing yeoman's work for now months. And just a, just a way to say thank you. And then in follow up to, we called it the Lunch Train Initiative, um, and we had wonderful partners that helped us—food, uh, food partners and and uh, advertising partners—and it was a it was a real fun and I think a valuable initiative. And then I did a resolution uh, acknowledging all eight of the hospitals in my district uh, at our at our meetings in September. Uh, so I'll be socially distanced. I'll have my mask, but I'm going to deliver a resolution to each of the eight hospitals. Uh, which is just recognizing their great efforts. They literally ran right into the eye of this pandemic for us.
0: I mentioned you're a rambler. And I think your answers have shown that you've been definitely been an advocate for others throughout all of this, your time during the pandemic. How did Loyola help prepare you for both your legal career and your political career? You know,
1: the look, first of all, I went to Loyola Law School. I uh, came out 33 years ago and I to this day, have strong relationships with individuals at the law school, and uh, served as chair of the board of governors. Um, uh, I'm the immediate past chair uh, right now. Judge Mulroy is, is the chair of the, of the board. Uh, but Loyola it really evinces giving back, keeping the ladder down, and that's something that I I have really embraced my entire life. And it really started by modeling my parents. They've done the same thing, and I remember when. Uh, I really started to practice and was very busy practicing law with the family. Cheryl and I started with the with the three kids and raising them. And my dad says, Bill, you know, you really should only be on four boards volunteering at a time. And when I finally decided to run for office, I was actually on 14 boards. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, but but I, I love giving back. And I take Luke 12 very seriously, you know, to whom much is given, much is required and uh, had a hand with others in setting up a scholarship fund for students of color at Loyola Law School. Did the same thing at Lake Forest College, where I went undergrad We set up a scholarship there. I'm presently vice chair of the Lake Forest College uh, Board, and I'll be the first African-American chair of that board of trustees uh, in 2023. So um, I think that it's very important to to help others. I think it's very important to mentor others, uh, and boy, did I benefit from others doing that for me. So I'm just trying to give back and, and make sure that um, in some way uh, I, I can help those who follow.
0: What closing message uh, would you have for law students? Our, our base is primarily loyal to law students. Uh, what would you, your closing message to them be?
1: When I look at what, what's what's coming next for law students, my message is always. Recognize you're going to have some bumps in the road. And when you do get up, get up. And I say that because I don't want current law students to look at me and think of me as the president of a 50 person litigation or of uh, being the Cook County commissioner of the third district or being the immediate past chair of the Loyola Board of Governors. I want students to think about me if, they have to take the bar twice like i did if they get a poor grade despite really giving it 100% in torts or in property like i did and and that's the reality of this we all have hurdles but what we can do you can't avoid the hurdles but you can get up you can get up so as i as i sit here today as an african american man there are two numbers that stick out relative to uh The practice. And they're tied to the law school experience. Five and 30. Five and 30. As we talk right now, only 5% of the licensed attorneys in the United States are African American. We need more diversity in law. We need diversity in all of its hues, whether you're talking economic, whether you're talking race, whether you're talking religion, whether you're talking sexual orientation. We need more diversity why because we all learn the most from people who are different than us you don't learn the most from people that are just like you so in order for us to continue learning which is really one of the things that we're supposed to do while we're here we're supposed to love you're supposed to serve and you're supposed to learn you need to be around folks who are not like you and then the other is 30 I don't know Emmett why the first time passage rate for African-American students is 30 percent below white students when we go to the same colleges, the same universities, and the same law school. But that's the reality. So I share that when I talk to groups because I don't want them to think about me relative to the maybe some of the accomplishments. You think about me when it's time to get up again. That's what I want you to think about me, and you, you too will get up as I did. So that's my message. Keep working, and when you need, when you, when you stumble,
0: get up. Thank you, Bill Lowry, for joining us in the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it very much.
0: Our senior editor is Radhika Sutherland. Our associate editors are Olivia Ashe, Leanne Johnson, Lenny Reinhart, and me, Emmett Harrington. Our editor-in-chief is Matt Doran. Special thanks to Dean Michael Kaufman for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podcast.